Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention for This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. talent and see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? Folks, you know I'm really excited when I get to do one of my favorite musicals of all time this week. That's right, we're doing Sweeney Todd right here on the movie musical Shakedown. And no joke, this is one of my favorite musicals of all time. If I had to rank my top, you know, five or six, this is probably number four, to be quite honest with you. This actually represents a really, you know, pivotal moment in my theater life. I remember seeing this, the original um, videotape performance of Angela Lansbury and George Hearn I think it was like in seventh or eighth grade, and it just I just remember it being just an incredible, impactful experience on me as a as a young aspiring theater person, as I'm sure it did for a lot of other people out there. So when 2007 came around and they were doing this this you know big budget studio Hollywood you know movie musical, of course I was going to go see it, but I remember walking in with very mixed anticipation, mixed feelings, had no idea if it was going to be any good. The cast, while filled with stars, not a lot of them actually had musical theater cred, so to speak. So I, I did not have you know high expectations, but I remember walking out being pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised by Alan Rickman. I was ple- pleasantly surprised by Helena Bonham Carter. I was pleasantly surprised by Johnny Depp. And going back and watching this movie now that it's you know a little over 11 years old, very different experience. And much of that has to do with the fact that some of the cast members are no longer no longer with us. Um, also has to do with the fact that Johnny Depp is a completely different person, I think, than he was, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> um, so that made things a little awkward. But I also discovered some things about this, this movie that I did not see, you know, didn't notice earlier. And, um, you know, to be quite frank, I some things I really liked and some things I didn't like. So... It'll be an interesting podcast, and I've got a great co-host with me this week. Her name is Dr. Elisa Hurwitz. She is uh, known by many as Dr. Drama, and you can find her website by going to drdrama.com. And um, in addition to being a massive, massive theater fan, she is a clinical psychologist who specializes in trauma therapy, which is exactly why I wanted to have her on this podcast, because she loves this, you know, this musical and this film. And, um, you know, was able to be able to, you know, break things down on that end, but then also marry it with, you know, breaking down the characters when he taught from a, from a mental standpoint, you know, the impact of not only his traumatic incidents, but also, you know, Mrs. Lovett and Joanna and all that stuff, how it plays a role into his psyche, so to speak, and, and making him, you know, the villain that we all know him to be. And also to explore, you know, the thoughts of, becoming obsessed with revenge and things like that. So that's why I wanted to have her on this podcast because she just has some incredible insight into all of that. So I'm really looking forward for all of you to hear that this week. So when we come back, we're going to break it all down. But first, of course, as always, here is the trailer. This is the tale of an ordinary man who had everything. Parker's name was Benjamin Parker. Until a man of power stole his freedom, destroyed his family, and banished him. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. For life. And in his sorrow, a new man was born. Fifteen years dreaming. Oh my 
your mum to a wife and child. Benjamin Barker. Not Barker. Sweeney Todd now. And he will have his revenge. Who's my wife? She's gone. And he's got your daughter. Judge Tupin. You gotta leave this all behind you now. No. These are desperate times. Desperate measures are called for. All right! You, sir! No one's in the chair. Come on, come on! Sweeney's waiting. I want you bleeders. You, sir! Two, sir. Welcome to the grave. I will have vengeance. I will have salvation. I can guarantee the closest shave you will ever know. May the good Lord smile on you. You're poking mad. The years, no doubt, have changed me. It's all very well, but what are we going to do about him? And we're back, and I am now joined by my very special guest co-host, Dr. Alisa Hurwitz. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. I'm it's so, so good to talk to you again. Oh, my gosh. Thanks. And for those of you who don't know, we actually had a wonderful opportunity to kind of co-host a, a wonderful panel during Broadway Con. And, you know, you were all over Broadway Con this year. I mean, it sounded it looked like you were like running from panel to panel. How many events did you end up doing during that weekend? Uh, I did I did four panels and I loved it. Um, getting to to talk to to people, um, people who love theater and were interested in um in in that intersection of musicals and mental health, um, there was there was a lot of um, passion and interest in the topic. So it was that it, just getting to interact with people, um, you know, in the audience uh, was so awesome. It was just it was inspiring. It's really such a special weekend. And, you know, yes. for those of you who haven't been to Broadway Con yet, I mean, if you're able to, if you have the means, I mean, I definitely encourage it because it really is a, a paradise, if you will, for the, for the theater <laughs> yeah. fan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, folks like, you know, Alisa here, you know, they're doing so many good things by bringing, I think, really important topics, you know, to discussion. I mean, a lot of these conventions, sometimes it's more geared towards the fan centric, like, you know, let's just celebrate uh, our favorite musicals from the 1950s and things like that. But, you know, you know, there's a lot going on in our lives. So it's, I think it's it's awesome when we start bridging that. And I think you're a big part of that, which I, I, I definitely hope that your presence grows, you know, <laughs> each year. Uh, yeah, I, I thank you. I I hope so too. It was uh, it was thrilling, and you know the the panel that you put together um, that we did with Jennifer Samard, it was um, that really I think captured what what can be so great about being there, and you know kind of and in a in a very similar way that that what makes theater so special is that um, it was it was very much um, just for the people in the room. You mm. know there was discussion that was that was really meant to be just for the people who were there and present and listening. Um, and that felt really, really special. And it really felt like there was an energy in the room where people were really hearing what she was saying and responding to what she was saying. Um, and that it just felt really, really meaningful. And Definitely. I want to add, if, you know, even if people don't have the means to get a Broadway con ticket, they can volunteer. Um, and, you, you know, you give your time and then yeah. you pass. Um, so that's a great alternative. I didn't, you know what? Thank you for bringing that up. I had no idea. And so that's, a, yeah, that's a great tip for those of you who really want to go and enjoy this event. My gosh, that's fantastic. So today, folks, we are talking about a movie that I, I have complicated feelings about. <laughs> and I guess that's at, that at best, I can say I have, I have complicated feelings about. And that, of course, is Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And um, I, right off the bat, I just want to get your thoughts what, you know, when you first saw this film, when you rewatched mm -hmm. it for this podcast, I mean, what were your initial mm -hmm. thoughts? How did you feel, you know, rewatching it? Did you feel any differently? Did anything stick out? Give me everything. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about your complicated feelings about it. Um, because this happens to be, um, this happens to be, I think, one of the most successful transfers of a musical to screen. 
Um, and so, see, I'm a sucker for Sondheim. I mean, anytime there's Sondheim anywhere, um, in any form, I'm there. Uh, so, you know, it, it, that that was a no-brainer that I was gonna gonna be seeing it. But I was happily surprised um, seeing it the first time. I do think, you know, having rewatched it um, to freshen up my my memory um, for for doing the podcast. Um, I do think it's much better on a big screen. It's, um, you know, being that it's directed by Tim Burton, it's meant to be a very visual experience. Mm. Um, and it, the visuals of it feel a lot more impactful um, on a big screen, screen, especially because it's so, it's so dark. Um, it feels a little, I, I, a lot feels lost in translation down to a, a, the size of a television screen in terms of visual impact. Um, but I think, I think that this, that this, like I said, is one of the most successful translations of, of something that it was on stage to something that was put um, on screen. Probably second most to Chicago, mm. uh, because I think what a movie can do is so different than what a, what a musical can do. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, Tim Burton uses that to his advantage um, to a lot of success, um, you know, in this. Uh, so I'm so curious to hear your complicated feelings. Yeah, well, you know, it's it, it it was funny when I when they announced it and they announced that Tim Burton was directing it. I'm I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I go all the way back to Beetlejuice and and Batman and a, a lot of you know big top you know Pee Wee and stuff like that. Um, so to hear that he was going to bring kind of his signature style to Sweeney Todd, I was like, oh my god, what a great a perfect marriage there uh, of style and you know, it's funny. Like seeing it initially, I there, it was weird because I was like man, there, there are certain little things that were missing in that movie that I'm like, oh, I wish I had just put that in there and things like that. But, you know, am I, am I asking too much, so to speak, mm-hmm. for wanting those type of things in there? Um, and then it was, it was weird. It wasn't complicated on the initial viewing. It was complicated mm-hmm. going back and rewatching it now because my feelings towards Johnny Depp as a person have changed uh, with all the stuff that's surrounding him. And I think that's, you know, from, from his issues to just the general Me Too era, you know, I have yet to go back and watch any of the House of Cards. I have yet to watch any of Aziz Aznari stuff. Forget Louis C.K. Mm. And so it's when, so this was actually one of the first times I really sat down and had to rewatch something that was somebody who really had had a lot of those types of issues uh, in between. So it was really weird watching that performance. Um, and then, of course, you know, like, watching, you know, the fact that Alan Rickman is no longer with us and, you know, just like certain things. I was just like, oh, I had such much different feelings about it second time around. But the design, uh, to your point earlier, man, like it's, it is so good. And what's even better is I agree with your point entirely. I think this is definitely one of the better you know, adaptations that we've seen from stage to screen um, with a couple minor edits, but uh, overall it's like, you know, they didn't, they didn't completely tear it apart. It wasn't, it wasn't Les Mis and things like that. So, uh, <laughs> which we'll, we'll talk about down the line that that will definitely be a future podcast at some point. So, oh so boy. <laughs> um, but let me ask you this. I mean, you know, with your background, could you just tell the folks a little bit about your background? Cause th- this is exactly why I think you're the perfect person to have on this podcast. Yeah. So, um, you know, so like the, you know, letters in front of my name uh, suggest uh, being DR. Um, I I am uh, a doctor, a doctor of psychology, so I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, and uh, and my my kind of side project is that I write about the intersection of musicals and mental health, um, and, and examine that. Uh, I, I write about it. I interview um, folks in the performing arts um, about it, and I also do. Um, lectures and talkbacks um, that, uh, you know, on the topic. So uh, I was thrilled to do Sweeney Todd um, because anytime you do Sondheim, you're, you're, you can't avoid the topic of uh, psychology. Um, and, you know, certainly Sweeney Todd, I mean, it's so ripe for, for that discussion. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled to be talking about it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those pieces that for me, the first time I ever saw it was actually funny enough, the taped, show with Angela Lansbury and um yeah you know and, and that really was one of the like I think I saw that when I was like seventh grade so I was young yeah and it was I was I was shook I mean I, I walked I remember they showed it to us in theater class and I was like oh my god like what am I watching but one thing that definitely has made me think about this movie over and over again is this thought of how these traumatic events um and, and you know how we respond to them Mm-hmm. And we can say that like Sweeney Todd did not respond 
maybe the best way to his trauma and whatnot. But um, what, when you, mm-hmm. with your background, what were some of the things that kind of stuck out to you and, 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 and what you noticed with this film? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, both the film and the stage version, which also that, that wonderful uh, filmed live um, performance with um, Angel Lansbury and George Hearn. Yeah. You know, was also yeah. my introduction to it. And I think that was quite an epiphany to me that theater, oh, theater can be that too. Uh, it can be that complex and deep. Um, I was probably around the same age as you when I when I first saw it. Um, but you know, the, I think the 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 thing that popped out to me and probably a lot of people is the obsession and the the obsession with revenge. Um, you know, so there he is. And speaking, you know, just from the way they presented in the film, um, he's you know they they give us a time and a place, so you can kind of see get the sense that he is proximal to where. Not only his wife is, um, but his daughter. And he knows, he knows his daughter is alive. He knows his daughter is the ward of, of the judge. And he knows she's close by, like within, it seems like within walking distance. Mm. And he's so obsessed with revenge, he never goes to see her or try to rescue her. <laughs> right. And, and that, I think, just speaks to the depth of his obsession. Mm. That, you know, he can't see the forest for the trees. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably pretty common for folks who are jailed and wrongly jailed to, to you know, to get really obsessed in their thoughts. Um, you, and, and he speaks to that. He says, you know, for 15 years, I just thought about my wife and my daughter. Mm. Um, and then when he when he gets out, he has the chance. He If he opens his eyes, he would have seen his wife. He would have noticed. He would have he would have noticed. And and he and he never goes to his daughter, and I think um, I think he he uh, uh, he it, it sickens him. It you know it makes him so sick to be to be so wronged um, and and isolated for those fifteen years that um, you know that he he kind of he kind of is his own worst enemy in the end, even though he has a pretty bad enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. You know, I always felt like people with these types of goals or obsessions of revenge can never truly be satisfied even if they succeed in their you know their mission so to speak you know mm-hmm. so i mean I mean, we kind of notice that i mean even after he kills uh he finally get kills judge turpin you still don't see this like he doesn't become like awash with like oh man it's over type of deal like it, he's still the same person and and i think do you see do you get a, a sense of that or do, do you see that a lot where we're you know, even if these missions are fulfilled, there's still no is there's no satisfaction. So to speak. no, you hit you hit the nail on the head. Is that it's almost like an addiction where mm. you know the next hit, you know the the person seeking that next hit, and and but they get the next hit and it's not enough, and they need the next one and the next one. Um, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head, and so it's never going to be enough. And he kind of can you know only it can only end in this kind of macabre, uh, you know, mess of murders. You know, where everybody <laughs> is. Almost everybody, um, you know, has been taken down. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I noticed too in this is the impact of enablers. I mean, Mrs. Lovett, you could argue, is a gigantic enabler uh, of his. His, you know, first of all, she's concealing the fact that his wife's actually alive. Uh, number yeah. one, and number two, I mean, that the whole, you know, encouraging the killing to to make <laughs> meat pies and things like that. Um, I'm wondering. I mean, with your with your background, I mean, what? Are, how toxic and subtle? I should say. I mean, let me, let me rephrase my question. I think there's a, that stereotypical view of enablers, like of just basically being like that person in your ear, convincing you to keep going. But I think a lot of times, enablers are also do it very subtly mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, what are you, What are your thoughts on on that whole situation? And so yeah, to yeah, yeah. That's. Um... You know, the word codependence um, comes up, comes to mind, um, you know, where they're they're mutually benefiting. Um, you know, I think there's a way to read to read her character as um, as as someone who is as obsessed with with um, Benjamin Barker, you know, Sweeney Todd, as Sweeney is obsessed with revenge. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's a good way. You know, another way to say it is if we kind of couch it in terms of uh, the analogy of addiction and, you know, enablers. And enabling can come in many forms. Enabling can be with all of the love in someone's heart and not mm. realizing that they're, that they're, you know, kind of helping to kill the person um, without that intention. But, you know, this is a bit more devious where it's this really sick codependence. And, um, 
she helps him. He needs her for, you know, for the shop, for, you know, the roof over his head um, to kind of keep him going and keep him on, on, on the path that he wants to go on. And she needs him because she wants him. She wants his love and she wants his affection. Mm. Um, and so they're sick together, which is really common. Again, with that analogy of addiction is very common with, um, with, with couples where one person has an addiction um, and the other person needs that person um, and is, has, has illness in their own way, has sickness in their own way. Let me ask you this. Is this the most like toxic couple in musical theater history? <laughs> <laughs> like... pretty bad. I mean, who, gosh. Uh, I mean, Phantom, <laughs> the Phantom uh, that's a good point. <laughs> is pretty sick too. Yes. You really break it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the only other one that really immediately comes to mind. Yeah. Um, this might be, they might win the prize. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's funny. I couldn't help, but, but like, as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, if he had just gone to a different pie shop or gone to a different eatery, so to speak, like I, who knows what would have happened? I mean, they yeah. are, they wasn't, wasn't, been... that sh- wasn't that where his shop was? Where oh, had... that's right. Yes, yeah, right. He was, so he was going there regardless. He was going there regardless. But yeah. um, if they had not met, like what would have, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. It yeah. really is. But you know, you touched on something earlier about how um, Sondheim really does hit uh, these, these psychological complexities with a lot of his his work i mean into the woods company sweeney todd i mean mm-hmm. just the list goes on and on i mean he really does go deep with these characters what are some of the other things that you feel he really yeah. kind of nailed with this this particular piece um you know i think yeah he is um he he is you know the word genius is is used so haphazardly he really is that his work I think any one of us could listen to it a million times and, and still find new layers. Right. Um, and, and I think what he, what he, one of the things he does so well is that he explores ambivalence, which is such a huge part of human nature. And a lot of, a lot of performing art, a lot of music books, um, you know, theater, it's, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily, so some does, but a lot of it doesn't. Um, and, and so I think that's part of what he does so well, but I, you know, kind of the second piece underneath the revenge obsession and obsession um, that stuck out to me actually in a new way, this viewing. And it's kind of because I'm watching, we're watching it post me too, was how he, how he talks about how women are owned and coveted and, um, and, you know, and how that, how that, how that makes them never, you know, unable to be the, the, um, what's the word, kind of the, the author of their own story, you know, so mm. even, even Anthony singing Joanna, which I think is one of the most beautiful melodies in all of musical theater. Um, it makes my heart melt to hear that melody. And then you really listen to the words and he's vowing to do exactly what the judge is doing to steal her. She doesn't mm-hmm. have a choice in it. <laughs> he's going to steal her. He's going to take her. He, she's going to belong to him. Um, uh, you know, and that happens. She she's kind of going through experiencing what what her mother experienced, being owned and coveted, um, and, and yeah. So that was another layer of you know, kind of being a woman and being a, a you know that kind of. Uh, I don't think he meant it in a me too way because of course that that idea didn't exist then or that mm-hmm. technology, but just the exploring um, you know women and um, and kind of their 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 ability to have their own um inertia in their lives um i think he i think he really he really hit that really hard mm, definitely i love and i love that that dynamic of that song joanna which you can't i mean it, right it's just this beautiful melody and the lyrics though really <laughs> awful words but you're so fooled by the melody it's brilliant yeah and you're, I, yeah, you're right that is absolutely genius and i've actually seen um, I remember went to a, a cabaret performance and someone did that song, but did it on like the sharp rather than the regular notes. Uh, so it changed the melody and made it a little more creepy. Uh, and with those lyrics, it's like, Ooh, you're right. Like that's, yep. that's a weird, that's a weird song. <laughs> and you know, to your point, I mean, yeah, when it comes to the way that, especially Joanna, it's like, man, she just doesn't have a great male relationship with anybody like in this, mm. 
it really, I mean, you know, she never really, I mean, it was with Sweeney Todd, obviously Judge Turpin. I mean, it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that is a tortured character um, mm-hmm. in this piece. But again, you're right. I think that speaks to the brilliance of, of Sondheim's music and lyric work. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. So yeah. um, any other, any other general thoughts about the film before we mm-hmm. go on to the next topic? Um, gosh, uh, you know, just to your point before about trauma and how that impacts people, I think, um, you know, for Joanna, um, I think he's, you know, there, there's lines towards the end of the, of the movie that speak to, um, how, how her, her entire life experience has shaped her worldview, which that's true for every human, right? Our, our early years, our formative years, uh, create our worldview and kind of the um, the framework for how we experience the world. And uh-huh. she says to Anthony when he brings her up to um, to the to the um, you know to Sweeney Todd's shop uh, to kind of hide her away, you know, he's like, "And we're gonna get out of here, and it's gonna be better." And she's like, "I don't know that. I don't know better. I don't know good. I only know torture. So I can't. You know, she she kind of doesn't." doesn't say I can't believe you or anything, but it's kind of implied that I'm not hoping for anything but just to survive. I mean, that's very much, you know, that's very much a, a survivor's um, experience of the world is how do I just make it through? Mm. That's what he's trying to do. My question, too, I, before, right before we move on, mm. with, when it comes to these revenge obsessions, is there ever a thought of, okay, once I do fulfill what I'm obsessed with, what do I do with myself afterwards? Like, mm. what do I do with my life? Like, have you had, have you seen or had any experience with like answering that question type of thing or? Um, yeah. I mean, certainly with, with folks I've treated who have been obsessed about not this kind of revenge, <laughs> thankfully, um, but with some kind of revenge of getting back. Um, it's actually very meaningful conversations to say, and then what? To have people kind of imagine what that feels like to have achieved that, um, and then they kind of realize that, like you said earlier, that there's an emptiness to it, and that there's that that is not going to bring them any internal peace. Um, not that that not that the desire to have retribution isn't understandable and and you know part of human nature, but helping them walk through that um, and to kind of imagine the end point. Um, so I mean, I've never worked with someone who was so hopelessly obsessed with revenge that there was no kind of um, kind of having them see that, um, see kind of see what that endpoint was, but having mm. that discussion, you know, kind of imagining, okay, and then what? Um, you know, it's kind of an eye-opener for folks. Interesting, interesting. This is why exactly I wanted you to have on this podcast, mm. uh, because this is, you've got such good insight when it comes to these things, and uh, I'm so glad that you noticed a lot of things that I actually didn't even pick up on. But by you mentioning it, it's like, oh, my God, yes, absolutely. So <laughs> perfect, perfect. So, folks, let's move on. So we all know that when we're watching some of these movie musicals, you know, there are, there's going to be moments in these films that just give us the chills. You know, they just give us – they raise the arms on our – hair on our arms. They give us goosebumps. Um, and also vice versa. Sometimes they make us just absolutely cringe and you're just like, ugh, like that's, that's not good. And I call these chill scenes. So mm-hmm. let me start with you, Lisa. Did you have any chill scenes in this mm-hmm. movie? Oh, Go I ahead. Can- Hear yours. Yes, mine is absolutely the opening scene when they lay heavy on that Grand Guggenau uh, uh, organ music. Mm, um, yeah, and 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 it's the kind of the height of what the film can do that that uh, a stage show can't do, which is that it brings us all through that world visually, um, as you know, as that organ music is playing over it, and that literally gives me chills. Um, even rewatching it. Um, you know, this time around, I had goosebumps. Um, I, I just, I think it, 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 you know, it's world building in a way that only the film could do. Um, and and with that music behind it, oof, chills yeah. all around. Well, Definitely, I can't wait to hear. Oh man, I, I that that was one of them. I mean, any that that first of all, the opening number for Sweeney Todd is one of my favorite opening numbers of, of all time. And and I think you know I'll talk about this a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, it's it's just such a great great opening number. And so yeah, to your point, when that first organ hits, I'm right there with you. For me, um, honestly, one of my favorite scenes of all Sweeney Todd incarnations is when he opens up his box of razors and. He's, you know, and and he's you know, that whole my friend song. 
Um, and even in this movie, like it still, it still gave me chills at that moment where, you know, to his point, my arm is complete. These are my friend. These are these, you know, these old things that are untarnished by the time and things like that. It's such a, a interesting moment for me um, when he finds those, those knives, those, those razors again. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a big chill scene for me. How about you? Any others? Um, the other one that kind of comes second to that for me is, um, oh gosh, oh, there's so many. I mean, they all, they, the music is so incredible that they all kind of in their own right give me chills. Um, but I think uh, in this in this kind of smaller way, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, when he's singing about the razor blades, it's such a great scene. Um, but I love Green Finch and Lynnet Bird. Um, That's it, a great it, song too. Yeah, it's so beautiful, and it's saying so much about a character um, with such little, such with with saying not too much, you know, mm -hmm. with just using analogous language, um, and it's so pretty. Um, it's telling us so much and it's so beautiful at the same time. And so that one in, in a very much a smaller way, not that, that kind of grand, um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, intensity it's, it's a much quieter kind of chills. Yeah. And actually the, the actress who sang that in the movie, her name is Jane Wisner. Um, she's actually, she, since that, since Sweeney Todd, she's been in uh, a London production of Par Parade, uh, before that, she was actually discovered in a youth production of, of West Side Story. So she definitely had some, you know, musical theater street cred, so to speak, mm. uh, before she came mm. to the role. But she, I thought she did a great job with with her material uh, mm. in this movie throughout. Um, and then the, I think the final goosebump, you know, chill scene for me um, is not while I'm around. I mean, anytime I hear that song, you know, as a parent, uh, that that's always going to affect me in one way or another. And um, absolutely, you know, yeah. I think that that definitely gave me chills. Uh, on that end. All right. So before we move on to our, our rating, you know, everything from, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm skipping over sections. This is, this is, you know, I'm getting so big. I'm getting ahead of myself with this <laughs> podcast. Um, we know that sometimes with these movie musicals, uh, not every question is answered. Not every plot is tied up um, and, you know, not every mystery is solved. And so I call these lingering questions where was there anything that, that stuck out? That's like, man, I, I wonder what happens there. Why, why do they do that? And things like that. I actually didn't have any when I was watching this movie. <laughs> this movie actually does a great job of tying a lot of things up pretty well. Like, you know, will he get caught for, for murdering Pirelli? Yes. I mean, will, you know, all these different things, you know, mysteries are pretty much all. But did you did you have anything that came up that you're like, eh, what was that about? Nothing. That's the fault of the script. Um, you know, mm. I certainly I agree with you. Um, I, I think it's it's pretty tight at the end. Um, and this is it's just where the story ends. So it's not a fault of of the you know of the creators but certainly wonder like okay so now Anthony and Joanna are out there um, they, they've survived this massacre that had, you know that um, Sweeney Todd's revenge has taken down everybody around him they have survived it so now what you know it's, a, it's kind of a curiosity <laughs> like you know because it's not going to be the, the you know kind of the play on on the the romanticism is that they run off happily into the sunset. You gotta know in this world, that's not happening. No. <laughs> so yeah, just a curiosity about like what happens to them. That be, that's an interesting point. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah, no, it's just, this is one of those films that really just ties everything nicely uh, together. So, well, before we move on to rating, you know, singing, dancing and all that stuff, one through 10, I'm gonna throw you a curveball here. And yeah. this is, we all know that when it comes to casting these movies, sometimes the first choice, the second choice isn't in what we get with the final product. So there's a lot of people that get considered. Uh, so what I like to do is I like to dig in, do a little research into some of the, see some of the people that were considered for these roles, maybe even offered these roles and then, you know, was given to someone else um, and ask the question, would this movie have been better with the other choice, basically? And I've got two roles here for you. All right. So I'm going to hit you. Okay. I'm going to hit you twice. All right. So this, this movie had been in development for years. Uh, it, it was basically the minute it came out, the movie rights were bought and, and it just was sat in development hell, so to speak for, mm -hmm. for decades. Um, but one of the first actors that was considered for Sweeney Todd was Kevin Klein. Oh, so let me ask oh. you this now. Ha now, obviously we have to rewind a little bit. Maybe this was made in like the late eighties, early nineties, but would this movie, have been better with Kevin Klein rather than Johnny Depp. Ooh, 
I love Kevin Klein doing Sondheim. <laughs> I saw him at um, at uh, New York City Opera doing a little night music. And oh was, yeah. Oh. Uh, so would it be better? I, I can't say better. I think it would be a very different take on the character. I think it would be very different. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I love yeah. that. It's it's a it would be such an interesting take for him because I haven't really ever I've seen him in a lot of things but I've never really seen him go that dark to that level of a kind of a character. And I really would have been interested to see what he would have been like in that role. But uh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) So Kevin Klein and Sweeney Todd, that would have been, that would have been fun. All right. So for this, when they finally started production and started pre-production for the Tim Burton film, one of the actresses that was heavily considered for Mrs. Lovett was Kate Winslet. So let me ask you this. <laughs> this is a reaction. I didn't know that. That's so so this is why, yeah. So yeah, what would this fault. movie have been better with Kate Winslet instead of Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs. Lovett? Okay. So I gotta I gotta be honest here. And I and I I I really don't like being overly critical of people's work, especially on stage. Especially on stage, because <laughs> I just feel like it, it's it's a different kind of laying your heart out there, um, you know, in, in a vulnerable way, you know, it's in front of, you know, in, in front of an audience. So, but, you know, this is a movie and I, I don't think she will ever hear this, <laughs> but I, I, I like Helena Bonham, Bonham, Helena Bonham Carter in this role. I don't love her in this role. Uh, it's not her singing. That doesn't bother me that she's not, you know, really a singer. Um, and I think she does wacky. I mean, who does wacky like she does? Mm-hmm. But there's something about the take on her role that is just a little too light to the touch. Um, that I just, um, I just didn't, I just didn't appreciate. Um, and I think mm. Kate Winslet, I think Kate Winslet would have brought something different and darker to it. It's funny because when when Helena was in. Um, Fight Club, she brought such quirkiness and darkness to that character. Yes, you're but right. I felt like that darkness, there was a depth to the darkness that I just felt was missing here. It felt like, if this makes sense, like when you compare it to Angela Lansbury's performance, it feels like Angela Lansbury's turning it to 11 and Helena Bonham Carter stopped at 8. Yes, yes. You yeah. know, like it, it's like you could see that she's going for it and then she stops. And yeah. I don't know if that was a directorial choice. I don't know if it's her. I mean... I've seen her to your point with fight club and some of the other stuff that she's done. I've seen her go really go for it in the past. And yeah, it just seemed like she kind of just stopped just short of giving us, you know, kind of everything we wanted in that role. And, and I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast, so she might be listening right now. So I, I we apologize, but okay. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, and I didn't mean to like disparage the budget. I don't, I don't, I, I appreciate that when people create, they're the ones creating and, and that, that takes more bravery than me criticizing their work, you know? Right. Uh, right. um, Yeah. That was just, that was just my honest kind of, kind of take on. Yeah. And I think, you know, given the time period, I think Kate Winslet and and that stage of her career probably would have gone for it. I mean, I think she really would have, we would have seen a different side of her. And and, and again, in a role that we haven't really seen her type play, which I think would be uh, a lot of fun on that end. So interesting, interesting all around to see like, what would have been like to see Sweeney Todd with with Kevin Klein and, uh, and Kate Winslet. Mm -hmm. Uh, There you go. Hmm. So, all right. Well, folks, we know that when it comes to successful movie musicals, we need to have four areas that are kind of firing on all cylinders at once to truly be a spectacular movie musical. And that, of course, is the singing, the dancing, the acting and design. So what we like to do on this podcast is go one by one and just rank how we felt each category was one through 10, 10 being the best one, of course, being the worst. So I'm going to start with you, Lisa. How did you feel about the singing rated rate at one to 10 and, and why? Um. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I feel like it gets two different scores because you have someone like, um, like the actress who played jo- Joanna. What was her name again? Jane, uh, Jane Wisner. Yep. Who clearly, who clearly has the chops and, mm-hmm. um, and Laura Michelle Kelly. Um, Michelle Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Who clearly has the chops. Not that she's, you know, singing pretty, but you know, but she, she has the chops. Uh, and I think what I think what Johnny Depp was able to bring and, you know, his his experience, um, you know, with performing in a rock band, um, he, he can he can sing pretty well. So I would say 
uh, in terms, I, I would, oh gosh, I would give it a provisional seven, you know, okay. but it's kind of a split, you know, it's kind of a split score. Um, but I think in terms of functionality, I would give it, I would give it a slightly higher score, like an eight or nine. I don't think it has to be the best singing to be good if for, for this, for, for what it is. Yeah, I think you're right. I, yeah. No, I think you're hundred percent right. I think the, I, it has to be performed well. You have to believe yes. the performances. And I think the notes can almost be secondary in a certain way of how good it sounds, so to speak, as long as it's you know performed well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I, I actually also gave it about a seven uh, as well, because I thought there were some sort of surprisingly good singers in this uh, mm-hmm. for people that I had really no, you know, when I, when I saw the cast, no one like jumped out with the exception of Laura Michelle Kelly as being kind of a musical theater mm-hmm. star, so to speak. And I was like, Oh gosh, like, Timothy Spall, like, all right, we'll see what happens. We'll see, what, mm-hmm. see what happens. Um, but I was actually pleasantly surprised. I actually walked out saying, "Oh wow, like Queen of Bottom Corner, she can actually kind of sing." Like Alan Rickman with that voice, who knew that he could kind of carry a tune. Um, and you know, Jamie Cam- uh, Campbell Bower plays Anthony. Um, thought did fantastic for someone who I had no idea who he was. So yeah, was, there were surprises here and there, but I think yeah, to your point, overall quality I think was just like a little bit less than you know an amazing. Chicago-esque, you know, mm. cast, but still strong performances. So yeah, I, I would say that. Um, yeah, and also the kid playing Tobias, he had a he had a beautiful, mm. beautiful voice. Um, and if you, it's a funny thing. There's some Sondheim, there's some Sondheim material that you do not have to be the best singer. You just have to be able to. You have to be able to perform, right? And Alan Rickman, that voice, God rest his soul, man, <laughs> this is acting. Um, he. He he could just talk it right. I mean, he, <laughs> he had that beautiful baritone voice. But if you don't, if you think you have to sing pretty to to perform every Sondheim song, check out check out YouTube. Find um, Jame, Dame Judi Dench singing "Send in the Clowns" and yes. tell me that it doesn't matter that it that it matters that she's not a singer. Tell yeah. me that is not one of the best performances you've ever seen. I mean, that's a that's a legendary performance. And to be quite honest with you, I have not seen someone perform that song better. Day. I mean, I, I saw the Broadway revival and, and it mm-hmm. was like, nope, I'll, I'll take Judy Dench 100%. Yep. And, and I would actually even throw on Elaine Stritch doing Ladies Who Lunch from Company. Yep. I mean, that's yep. another one where oh, Elaine Stritch, yeah. you know, did, was not a, you know, she well, wasn't Elaine a singer. Was doing everything. I mean, one of the best things I've ever seen was her um, Lady at Liberty, uh, a one woman show. Um, and I mean, it was a night of, I mean, she was doing like uh, scripted repartee, but it was a lot of song. And it mm. does not matter. It's not, you know, it's not like going to to listen to Barbara Cook sing. Like, you know, she, per- they both performed the songs, but it, she was so captivating and all in that, mm-hmm. it, right. You're so right. Elaine Stritch, I also, God rest her soul, right. She, she could, she, she, I, I would watch her perform anything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'd watch her read the phone book sarcastically. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. That's great. So, Dancing. Let's move on to dancing. Now, this was an interesting movie because there really wasn't any. There was a waltz. So I actually gave it a non-applicable because there just wasn't yeah. any numbers. I, I was going to say, there's just there's not much there. So, But let's move on to acting. So this yeah. will be interesting. Lisa, how would you feel about the acting in this mm-hmm. movie? One through ten. Um, I would give it I would give it um, give it an eight also. Mm. I, I thought Johnny Depp ugh, you know, uh, with the with the asterisk that you know we've learned things about him personally and and how you are as a human uh is more important than how you how good of an actor you are um but i thought he was quite good at sweeney todd um you know we said what you know our thoughts were on helena uh, bonham carter uh alan rickman uh fantastic i love timothy spall i think he's such a great character <laughs> actor i love him in everything i've ever seen him in um, and he, so there were some scenes he's just standing in the background and you watch him and he is just slimy and, um, and sneering and, um, not in a caricature way, in a way that you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that guy before. And we haven't, um, mentioned Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, that was, I think this was a role and timing wise, I think this was kind of, kind of the, the first kind of serious acting that he did after mm-hmm. a lot of his, um, you know, that that's his style of comedy of, you know, kind of being this character and kind of coming into a world. And right. He was good. He was, I thought he was quite good. So I will give it an eight. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, I actually gave it an eight as well. And, um, you know, to your point, yeah, I, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was a real surprise for me, vocally, acting-wise. I mean, I remember when, when he got cast, there was this kind of buzz about it of like, oh, okay, mm. well, Borat, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Let's see what he can do. And uh, yeah, it kind of, it almost kind of legitimized him a little bit yeah. for a lot of this. And, you know, then years later hearing that he was actually the one that was supposed to play Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody uh, before Rami Malek took the role um, was kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, I could, I could picture that because he was, he, because of this. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, fantastic, fantastic performance as well. And yeah, I think there are people here, which I think was different than a lot of the other movie musicals that we'd seen in this era where, you know, the Chicago's, the, um, you know, the Ain't of the Woods of the World, the Mamma Mia's, mm -hmm. where you saw actors just kind of going for it and, mm -hmm. and giving it, treating it as serious drama. I think there would mm -hmm. be that, that uh, especially when you see it back in the 1980s and 70s with some of those movie musicals, it's like, we're in a musical, like, you know, let's not, let's not get too deep. Um, <laughs> but here you really saw people, you know, giving a truly nuanced performance and, and and even though it's awkward watching depth depth and giving him kind of any type of praise right now mm. um it's uh it it is one of his stronger performances of that era mm -hmm. of his career mm -hmm. so um yeah it, it's all around so final you know question i have to ask you for for design i mean you know mm. these movies have to look good one through ten how did you feel about the design about this film oh no question ten yeah uh, definitely the the um i think I wouldn't say the strength of the movie because it has a lot of strengths, but I would say the the biggest strength of the movie. Um, it makes so much sense. Tim Burton doing Sweeney Todd. Um, the 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 world that they created. It's funny because my my kids um, kind of walked in on on some of it and 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 they were singing. It was the beginning. They were singing about you know there's no place like London. And one of my kids, they're four and six, says said, "Why is London so dark? <laughs> <laughs> is it always that dark?" that in this movie it is you know um it, you know the, the, to create such a, a world that really was that kind of you know pathetic fallacy that 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 reflection of their inner lives um and the, you know the pops of red the bright red yeah dust. yeah yeah and and i and i loved how they did it in their own way you know kind of each incarnation i've ever seen of it has, has done the blood in their own way um but you know it's always been it's always been a little what's the word a little like, you know, like over the top, um, mm. you know, and so they did it in their own over the top way where the blood's spurting out of the neck, you know, and it's this bright red in this kind of sepia black and white gray colored world. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it looks like Tim Burton, but it, it doesn't feel like it's like it's only Tim Burton. It felt like the absolute right fit for this. Yeah. For, for this piece. It, you know, I love atmospheric movies where you feel as you're watching it you're you can actually you can smell the smells you can feel the 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 grime so to speak mm -hmm. of that set and um the, yeah the design all around was great i thought really really smart costume choices uh on this film as well i mean just the 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 bleakness really the 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 colorless um mm -hmm. and uh i you know for for you know typically Tim Burton films. I mean, he, he usually goes way over the top with costumes and, and things like this, but this really felt very um, controlled and, and his, his longtime collaborator, Colin Atwood, I thought just did some really, really strong work in this, in this um, as well. And I, I think even the visual effects, I mean, when we, we did have some CGI here and there, it really wasn't too jarring and things like mm -hmm. that as well. And to your point about the blood, I mean, I, it was, it was weird because I didn't know, how they were going to do it. And I said, okay, it's Tim Burton. It's, it's blood. Like, I, I think he's going to go kind of over the top and he certainly did not disappoint. It was, a, it was a weird, I liked kind of the, the different coloring and almost texture that they used for that, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting when it's, you know, I mean, mm. got to get creative when it comes to those types of things. So mm -hmm. um, excellent. But yeah, I agree a hundred percent with, with, with that as well, folks, we know with these movie musicals, you know, especially when they're adapted from the stage and, you know, we're talking about, you know, 30 to 40 songs and, you know, close to three hours worth of, of music. Not every single song uh, is going to make the final cut for the film. And, and obviously sometimes too many make the film as well. Sure. So this is a section that I like to call numbers that we needed and numbers that we could do without. So <laughs> there were some pretty notable songs that were obviously cut from the, 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 for the movie. Um, Lisa, which ones were you like hoping to hear which which number would you like to throw back in this film that we didn't uh, get? 
You know, I'm going to say none. Um, and I didn't, I, because I'm of the opinion, you know, again, to go back to that opinion I said before that a movie music, a, a movie adaptation of a musical is different than a musical on stage. Um, and it's probably not going to be two hours, two and a half hours or two hours and 45 minutes. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be, this was just under two hours. So they're going to have to cut some material. And I, and I felt like what needed to be there was there. I didn't feel like anything was missing. I felt like for creating it as a movie musical, it made the right decisions. Interestingly enough, I've heard Sondheim say on, you know, not personally, my friend Steve, um, I, I, I read in the interview that he said that he thought that Sweeney Todd was the was by far the, the best adaptation of one of his musicals. Um, he, because, be, for precisely that reason, because it did it well as a movie. I, so I, I, I didn't miss anything. Mm. Did you? It's weird. I, I, I'm going back and forth on this. Yeah. I love the opening number of this, of, of this musical, like the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. Yeah. And the company coming out and singing with their blank faces and, and, and <laughs> telling that, you know, telling the tale of Sweeney Todd, so to speak. And at the same time, what they did for the movie, I'm like, that also really works well too. So yeah. I'm, I, it's one of those like torn things where it's like, Oh, I really like that opening number. But at the same time, what they did was kind of cool. And you know, it's like, um, which would I rather preferred and, and, and would I've been rolling the dice and too much with, with having a, a big company number at the start to start this number. So just a uh, movie, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, I think the only other song that I really love in this um, musical that wasn't in the film was kiss me, which is the, the between, yeah. Joanna and Anthony, which I think would have shown a, a nicer side of their relationship and a different layer of the relationship. But I think with the flow of the movie, I, I don't think it would have worked, so to speak. And mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I think that they were right to leave it out on that end. So, um, yeah, not too much. I, 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 I really do agree with you. I think what they put in there was a great representation and definitely enough when it comes to that. But was it too much? Alisa, let me ask you, is there a number that you could have done without? <laughs> um no, I mean, uh, <laughs> no, I, I certainly don't love hearing Judge Turpin singing about anything because he's just, <laughs> I, because the reality is there are a lot of men like that, um, you, you know, and again, you know, kind of post Me Too movement, we understand that there are a lot of men that covet women, you know, so when they're singing Pretty Women, um, and he's, you know, and, and Sweeney asks him, you know, who's your intended? And he says, my ward. And it just makes me feel sick to my stomach. I do a lot of trauma work. Um, and, and unfortunately, the majority of the trauma is sexual trauma. And so I've heard the real life version of what that is um, too many times. Um, and, and it just makes me sick. So I think for the story, it's necessary. But gosh, it's just kind of nauseating to hear. Yeah, I hear you. And, and I, I think you're 100% right. And, you know, for what they left in the you know film and, and whatnot, I mean, they all... They they obviously hit all the uh, the iconic songs in the score and I you know I, I don't think I could really take one out and say mm. take it out I mean maybe ladies and their sensitivities which is sung by Timothy Spall that might be the one but yeah, yeah. you know um, other than that I think they did a great job of kind of selecting what really you know goes in there and what doesn't so um, all right well Lisa let's say you got five minutes and you're running yeah. out the door gotta watch you and you just have this you know craving to watch a part of Sony Todd <laughs> what scene or number are you gonna go right to Oh my gosh. Um, I, I, I kind of have a two pronged answer to this. Um, I mean, you know, a little, a, a little priest is just always just so much fun. And you know, that any number that's heading into the end of act one is always, you know, going to leave you with a little kind of thrill and it's, and it's a sick thrill, right? Because they're singing about making people into meat pies and the different flavors, but it is a, it is cheeky and a little fun, and it's you know clever, witty lyrics. Um, I think, but I also think that the number that 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 the movie does better than the stage show is um, by the sea, and so I I quite enjoy seeing that one um, because it it adds the visual humor um, that you can't do you can't you can't go to the sea in that way and to have those you know quick costume changes um, that humor of seeing you know Sweeney in a in a striped you know, one piece bathing suit sitting on the beach <laughs> looking as forlorn as he does anywhere else. Right. Um, 
so I, I might go to that one too because I think it's I think it's the visual humor in it is so clever and so well done. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, <clears throat> that's a tough. If I had five minutes, gosh, I I might go to Pretty Women just because I love the melody of that song and mm-hmm. I've sang it a couple times and I just I I, I do like the duet and the the, the melody there. Um, oof. That's a, this is this is this is tough. I mean, because there's a lot, and you know, maybe the sick the sick person in me is like, I'll, I'll go right to the montage of him just killing everybody left and right, because <laughs> um, that's fun too. Um, but yeah, no, there's just what's interesting about this film is there's so many of those sequences where you can just go and be entertained for about five to ten minutes and then mm-hmm. you know move on. So yeah, it's tough tough selections there, but good picks all around. So. All right. Well, folks, we at this podcast like to give out some pretty prestigious awards. And these are definitely prestigious awards. Uh, but we, uh, we call them uh, the Barbara Award, which is, of course, named after Barbara Streisand, given to who we feel is the best singer in the movie. Hmm. And then on the flip side, we have what's called the Russell Crowe Award, which goes to who we feel is the worst singer in this movie, uh, named for obviously Russell Crowe's infamous performance in Les Miserables. Um, I was going to say that the close second tie there was almost a, calling it the Pierce Brosnan Award from Miami. That was <laughs> went back and forth on that one. Um, and then finally, we have what's called the Bumlet Award, which is given to who we feel is the background ensemble secondary mm-hmm. character that just really kills it in this movie and just stays with you after mm-hmm. watching it, so to speak. And it's named after the character of Bumlet from Newsies, who... Um, was played by uh, an actor by now the name of Dominic Lucero, who if you watch the King of New York number in Newsies, he's the guy that's spinning on the fan at the end of the song and he lands into this like pirouette and he opens up the paper and it's this amazing movement and then you can't take your eyes off of him for the rest of the movie, so to speak. So um, I wanted to name an award after him because he also sadly passed as well. But um, so let me start with you, Lisa. Who gets your Barbara Award for Sweeney Todd? Golly, um, I'm gonna give it to, and again, I'm blanking on Jamie. Jane um, Jane Wines, Weisner. Yep. Jane Weisner. I'm sorry. Um, I gotta have that name stick in my head. Um, I remember after seeing the movie, I would listen to I would listen to her version of Greenfinch and Linnetbird, um, because I thought, uh, you know, she really achieved that gorgeous bird, like, uh, you know, quality um, uh, to her voice. Not that she sounded like a bird, but just that pretty bird song you know I just mm-hmm. I think her voice was superb and you know and it has and it, for that role it has to be I think um and I just thought she sounded absolutely gorgeous um I mean gosh I'm sorry Helena but my my <laughs> Russell Crowe award goes to her I mean she kind of yeah. talked her way through it and that was okay with me I thought it was passable I thought mm-hmm. it was okay um but she to me seemed to be the most uncomfortable with it um and then, and then the person I think who stays with me is um, Broadway and West End veteran Laura Michelle Kelly. Yeah, um, yeah, the bigger woman. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think as a good stage actor um, that she is, there's so much depth to that character, and so much that she says without saying much, and which without having uh, much uh, to say. Um, mm-hmm. And, and um, that's what stays with me. Mm. And you know, it's funny with her. I've heard her sing in a myriad of different things. I've seen, I've heard her in Beauty and the Beast. I've heard her in My Fair Lady. I've heard how full and gorgeous her voice is, but I loved what she did with this character. I mean, she made it this, like this weak kind of grinding voice. Um, And what's even better is for as much of that character scenes that they cut between the stage version and this movie version. Yeah, you're right. She absolutely crushed it in that, in that, that, what she had basically. So for me, my, my Barbara Ward also goes to Jane Wisner as, as Joanna. I mean, she's just spectacular in this film. Um, as my, my, my Russell Crowe word, I actually gave it to Alan Rickman at first. Cause he, <laughs> to your point, he could, yes, he could have talked at some of these things, but he decided to sing. So it's, there were some moments there. Um, and then for my Bumlet award, um, I actually ended up giving it to the, the gentleman who played Toby in the film. Um, uh, because deserving. he was very deserving. And, uh, you know, I've seen that role played a couple of different times in a couple of different ways. And uh, his name, the, the actor's name is Ed Sanders. Um, he, did, he did a really good job. Yeah. And, you know, I, I liked some of the choices that he made, especially at the end, you know, when, when it starts getting really, really dark. 
Um, and you know, he didn't go so overboard over the top with his reactions to the deaths and everything like that, uh, mm -hmm. towards the end. So great, great all around final question for you. Does this get a remake slash NBC live production? <laughs> Can you imagine NBC Live? They couldn't do hairspray. I mean, they couldn't do hair. How in the world? <laughs> exactly. No. <laughs> um, I love, I love any excuse to to try. You know, so mm -hmm. uh, you know, selfishly, yes. But um, I think, I mean, I just think this is so successful that um, uh, I, I, you would need. I think that a creative team would need a very different take on it. And this is such a this is such a brilliant piece of theater that it can it can withstand different interpretations, right? Mm. Like Shakespeare can. Yeah. Um, I've seen this, you know, in more incarnations than I can even remember, like count. And and in in their own way, each of them had strengths, and they were different. You know, I think of that the revival thing of two thousand seven. I might be wrong on the year with Michael Cerveris, um, which is actually my favorite version of it. And, mm. uh, um. You know, and, and how it was, you know, set in the insane asylum and then, you know, this off-Broadway, this recent off-Broadway, you know, uh, version that was set in the pie shop. And Which was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think you it's such a great piece. You could do something totally fresh with it and totally new. So, yeah, I think it I think it could. And I also think it's OK because it was done so well. Yeah, definitely. I think I think this is one of those pieces that, you know, maybe 15, 20 years from now, they give, they give it another crack at the big screen. Mm -hmm. Um I would love to see it maybe as a, as a Netflix production. I mean, just like just, just any any excuse from Rasan time out there, I'm I'm all for it. Um, yeah. And and you, met, I'm glad. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, the recent Off Broadway revival, which they actually set in a pie shop, which was an incredibly immersive experience. Um, I got to see it with Norm Lewis playing the title role. Which mm. uh, hearing Norm Lewis sing that score is. It's one of those like, okay, that's how it's supposed to sound. It's, yeah. It it definitely harkened back to Len Carew and George Hearn and and whatnot. And and I and with your point with Michael Spares, I mean, when we talk about nuanced performances, oh, and man. you know, he doesn't have that that booming, full throated voice that Norm Lewis has, but man. The, he just gets those intricacies of the character and, and you really do see the psychology of those characters yes. in that performance. And that's, you know, that's why I won the Tony that year, I think. So he, he was pained. He was pained mm. as Sweeney Todd. Um, it, it, it is, it is one of the most unforgettable performances I've ever seen. Nice. Um, for sure. Um, yeah. And, and different take on it, right. Than um, than someone like Norm Lewis um, and, you know, and in that production, right. Where, they're standing on the table and pointing at you, sir, you know, it, it, pointing their fingers in your face and scaring people. I mean, it was just so much fun. <laughs> it was so, um, it's such a fun, entertaining production of it. I love it. All right. I'm going to throw one more curveball at you. All right. You're, you're going to see Sweeney Todd, but you get to pick who plays Mrs. Lovett. Are you going to want to see it with Patti Lapone or Angela Lansbury? Oh, oh, that's easy. Easy. That's, that's for me. That's easy. Uh, I, uh, yes, Angela Lansbury, a hundred percent. Sorry, sorry, Patty Lupone fans and lovers. Um, I was, uh, I was not impressed with her as Mrs. Oh, Lupin. wow. That's a hot I was take. not. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. Good to know. Who Good to know. Pick? Who would you see? Ooh, I mean, Angela Lansbury had such an interesting take on the character, and then when I saw it with Carly Carmelo in the Off Broadway production. Mm. She brought a. She kind of threw back a little bit to that quirkiness of Angela Lansbury, but definitely put her own spin on it as well. Um, and then actually, I was also really impressed with Emma Thompson in that taped live concert version that they did um, mm. in in London. So man, yeah. like tough choices, but I, I I I think I have to go with you as well. I mean, Angela Lansbury, the originator, the the you know she she just nailed that character in a way that I don't think it's been nailed since. So could we see could we see Audrey McDonald maybe take on Mrs. Lovett? Ooh, that would be interesting, and I and I would wonder if she would truly go for it. You know, like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I've yeah. Never, I mean, yeah, I think she would. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd be, I'd that. be down for that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, Alisa, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. This was an absolute pleasure, and I hope this is the first of many that we do. And and if there's 
If there's a yep. movie musical that you're absolutely obsessed with that you would love to do on this podcast, you just name it, we'll schedule it, and we'll just do it. Awesome. Um, awesome. There you go. Where can people find you on social media? Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? I know you're, you've got so many things going on, but tell us everything. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so folks can find me on my website, which is um, drdrama.com, D-R-D-R-A-M-A. Um, and on the social media, I am at the Dr. Drama. Um, so again, T-H-E-D-R-D-R-A-M-A. Um, I love talking to people on social media. Um, so if folks have opinions about this or, or any anything else um, related to musicals and mental health, please um, uh, you know hit me up on there. Um, and uh, lots of stuff going on. I mean, I have um, uh, one musical I'm really excited about that's coming up um, because it's right up my alley is Jagged Little Pill. So I have yeah. some, I've written some pieces about it and had an interview with... Um, Catherine Gallagher, who's in the cast. I have an, another cast member interview that's going to be published soon um, coming up um, that I'm really excited about. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye out for that. Definitely. And, and folks, I cannot recommend checking out that Dr. Drama stuff more because it is, it's refreshing. I mean, it really is refreshing to, to hear and listen to different types of interviews that you wouldn't normally get. I mean, I think there's a lot of these podcasts and blogs and, and I'm even guilty of it myself where we kind of do these surface interviews where it's like tell me you know what role you like the best and things like that but you do such a great job of really getting into topics and 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 getting you know performers and, and whatnot to really open up and talk about these really challenging topics and it's such an interesting helpful um site to look at so definitely recommend it folks please you know if you're not looking at onstage blog then just you know pull up onstage blog and then dr drama at the same time and this <laughs> you're getting the best <laughs> of everything uh of course you can find us uh, at onstage blog on all the social networks twitter instagram and an onstage blog uh, on facebook itself uh, and then these podcasts you can absolutely find on podbean spotify and now on itunes so we are kind of all over the place now so to speak uh but we're gonna be doing the movie musical shakedown every single week we have a brand new movie musical coming out um i have no idea what we're doing next week i think i know but i'm not sure so i can't say it right now uh but it, uh, it'll be a fun one no matter what so um thank you for joining this week and thank you dr lisa Hurwitz. thank you so much for having us for the, oh. for the podcast this is amazing thank you chris I, I that was a lot of fun all right folks we will see you next week have a great week right here on the movie musical shakedown see you soon change all right you sir how about a shame and in the end should someone die <laughs> 